welcome to the first ever episode of Honey, This Podcast Isn't Big Enough for the Two of Us. My name's Marin. My name's EJ. Hell yeah, your name is EJ. And uh, this is the podcast. <laughs> this is the podcast we've started about. What did we start this podcast about, EJ? This is a podcast. Oh, I'm supposed- well, we didn't coordinate who fills in who's blanks, okay? I thought you were pausing for dramatic effect. It's about American Band My Chemical Romance is what it's about. Fundamentally, it is. Um, and there have been several podcasts before this about uh, American Rock Band My Chemical Romance. And we have listened to them and enjoyed them. Um, however, we are gay and trans. And we want to talk about how American Rock Band My Chemical Romance uh, relates to queer things that we care about. We're both genderqueer folks. We're both um yeah we're both gay folks um in our in our mid-20s and lots of love to the other mcr podcasts they're all great um but we have just always longed for a bit more (laughs) a bit more like i don't know gender talk in pretty much everything we Mm -hmm. do i think yeah maybe you'll like this podcast if you like to analyze queer theory (laughs) and also like to listen to Mm -hmm. american band my chemical romance but that's not a prereq you know there are no prereqs in this course we're all here (laughs) we're all here um from like a personal standpoint i i really like theory i really love reading theory um and talking about the ways that it shows up like in places that you might not expect it to be relevant um and i am interested in making that theory which feels like so important more accessible through um talking about it through things that I care about, like American Band, My Chemical Romance. Fundamentally and theoretically. <laughs> um, um, so wow, there's a lot happening with American Band, My Chemical Romance right now, huh? What a time. What a time. It's been, how long has it been? Like 10 days? Maybe a few more than that? Is it really? <laughs> Jesus Christ. It's, it's been, wait, no, yeah, it's been it's been nine days, nine days of tour. Um, and the they released Foundations of Decay um, three days before that. So, like, not even two weeks since that single came out. Um, we're living in the moment. I feel like a lifetime has passed. <laughs> we uh, are living um, in the moment. <laughs> Every day I wake up and something has occurred. <laughs> and then I go to work and it's 3 p.m. and something is occurring. Every and day, I have to... Every day at 3 p.m., me and everyone on my phone are absolutely losing our fucking minds. <laughs> <laughs> and that's just what it is. Every day at 3 p.m., and I get suddenly so bad at my job. Yeah, so we're both in our mid-20s. We've both been into MCR for more than half of our lives for years and years and years now. We also uh, <laughs> co-blog. Yeah, so we, we, we co-blog at Gerard Tweets. We're the curators of the Gerard Tweets Museum. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, uh, I, I just got done preserving uh, several Gerard Tweets, uh, just in case our, our archive uh, I know, usually we were saying that we were going to do, like, at the end of our podcast, we were going to be like, what's an MCR thing happening today that we're excited about? However, I think we should cover this now. Gerard just archived his Instagram and people on Tumblr went into a fury about like, mm-hmm. oh God, what if, what if he deletes his Twitter? Yeah. Yeah. Me specifically, I was like, fuck, I have some of those tweets screenshotted, but not all of them. And I've wanted to do like a pass back through the ones that we screenshotted initially to find like, there's so many others um, that didn't hit me initially because other ones were like so good. They're all archived now. They're on my little laptop. 
So, so if you um, ever need a tweet, if you ever need a tweet, I'm your guy. Fresh <laughs> tweets made every day, made fresh <laughs> every day, fresh. daily in the morning. Steaming hot tweets. Steaming hot tweets. Do we talk more about ourselves? I don't think we're done talking about ourselves. We're both Libras, well, which is Libras, very, we... very obvious by the fact that EJ just said we're not done talking about ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> no, Marin, I'm interested as a, as a listener of this podcast to know how you got into My Chemical Romance. Oh, okay. That's cute. Um, okay. I was a itty bitty baby of 10 or 11. Yeah, 10 or 11. It was like 2008. Um, and I was recommended, this is a very weird, <laughs> weird way to get into them. I was recommended the I don't love you music video on youtube.com in like in on vintage YouTube in, in 08. And I saw that music video and said, what the fuck is this? And then I can remember it so clearly. I got home from school. I like sat on this little couch that my family had on our living room and I watched that video. And then I watched all of their all the other Black Parade videos they had released at that time. And then I was, I was done. I was done. I was, I was set. I was done. <laughs> There's no coming back from that. And there was no coming back for the rest of my life. What about you? What about me? Um, I got into MCR probably around the same age. Um, there were a lot of people, not a lot, like there was a group of people who I really wanted to be friends with in elementary school. And they had gone to Warp Tour, and they could not stop talking about it. At, like, age 11, which, God. Um, but was so interested in this. Um, so I illegally downloaded a whole bunch of MP3s and listened to them and loved them. And then got really into them when I was 13 and in the hospital and Black Parade had come out. And it really helped me romanticize the experience yeah. in, in a productive way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We both got in around Black Raid. We're yeah. both in our mid-20s. Mm-hmm. There you go. And we're still deep in it. And we're still deep in it. We're still deep in it. How, how many MCR tattoos do you have, Marin? I have two currently, and <laughs> there will be others. Um, mm-hmm. Yes, I have two. We do have one together. We do have one together. We do have one together. We have complimentary MCR tattoos. Yes, that's say Kill all your friends. All right, so I guess we should get into our topic at hand. We're going to talk to you about camp. Who is she? Who is she? Have you met her? I know her. I've I've met her before, yeah. I've met her before. Um, But today we're going to really sit down and have a conversation with her and get to know her. And we're going to do that through Notes on Camp by Susan Sontag, originally published in 1964, which is a long fucking time ago. I think something that hits me about that date is that it is pre-Bowie. Bowie is not making music yet. Certainly pre-Bowie, which is really fundamental to camp understanding, I feel like, these days. Uh Yeah. And 10 years before Rocky Horror. Um, So I guess we could start by just, like, talking about why we want to talk about MCR in regards to camp. We want to talk about MCR in regards to camp because camp, I think, is one of the many words that gets thrown around sometimes not very cautiously to describe MCR's performances, Gerard Way's mannerisms, uh-huh. uh, the Black Parade in general. But I think sometimes people don't always know exactly what that what they're talking about or the ramifications of what um, camp really is. And that in like actually looking at the source material and digging into it a little bit more, we can like unlock further things that just like that surface level observation of like, 
camping performance. Yes, absolutely. I agree. That's especially, it's current because Rolling Stone literally just wrote an article about their tour, which Mm -hmm. I was shocked personally about this language, but they described their performances as camp and feminine. It's, It's a good time to discuss this. I also saw an article today about the Dublin shows, particularly, that described MCR's music as by and for queer neurodivergent people. Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yes, but whoa. I didn't know we were writing that in articles. Yeah, it's really um, anyway. a different time, huh? It's a different time. But I, camp is something that has been used to describe MCR for a while. Um, so, hey, Marin, uh, what's camp? Oh, God. Hey, what is it? <laughs> Oh God! Hey, what is it? So the way I like to think about camp is it's a sensibility. I always think about it as this, like specifically this love of like artifice and exaggeration. Yeah, and when I think about it being like a sensibility, camp is like a way of. Oh, Susan Sontag describes it as, among other things, like a way of looking at things. Yeah. Um, and a way of having taste in something, like contrast to a very structured and normative way of thinking about what is good art or what should be enjoyable um, around like high high art or high culture. I don't remember what she calls it exactly. Um, but camp is much more surface level. It is less about like revealing some kind of inherent truth or meaning. Right. Um, it's about the aesthetic. It's about the aesthetic. Exactly. Yeah. And that's the artifice part of it. Yeah. Right. right. Right, it's it's more surface level, even though it's not. Yeah. But yeah, but that's that's how it operates. That's right? how it operates. So so yeah, it's a it's a sensibility and a way of seeing, and then it's also this manner of expression or manner of performance. Yeah, that's read, able to be registered through that kind of organization of taste. Yeah. So she like talks about yeah. she mentions contrast and like how in like the way that you see with see and engage with camp and the way that people express express like camp sensibilities um there's often a contrast between like something like silly and then this like kind of extravagant content or like a kind of like she calls it like a rich form as well as like kitsch or like quote unquote bad art um that's not all the time what camp is but those are like two examples of what it can be there's this contrast or contrasting like content of this like frivolous and this very serious um and then there's also this like bad art kitsch vibe that can go along Mm -hmm. with it yeah I think that the word bad here is really interesting too like it is so hard there are times when she throws around the word bad and I'm like but this can't be about my chemical romance like it couldn't possibly be about because they're good (laughs) I certainly can't imply or it can't can't apply to to what I want to talk about um but I think there's an element of like stepping back from that to think about like what is bad as like maybe something that doesn't succeed on the levels that it's expected to succeed. Something that does not achieve the kind of value that a regular value value system or, or sensibility um, expects it to. And th- that makes it bad. And that's why bad can be in quotes. Right. Specifically when it comes to American Band My Chemical Romance, I think we cannot describe their art as bad, but she does have a quote where they talk about art, where she talks about art, artifice and exaggeration. And she specifically mentions this idea of like this love of something being quote unquote off. 
this is point number eight on page three. Camp is a vision of the world in terms of style, but a particular kind of style. It is the love of the exaggerated, the off, the things being what they are not. Yeah, which yeah. is like very visible <laughs> in American Band My Chemical Romance. Is it? I would say that it is. Yeah, I mean, we will get more into it in terms of like theatricality and stuff like that. But I guess we can just say like in terms of like this idea of something being like quote unquote off, I think through a lot of their music um, and a lot of the aesthetics that they use and the things that they, (laughs) the word that's in my head is deploy. Yeah, say it. Say deploy. (laughs) Say deploy. (laughs) The aesthetics that they deploy (laughs) upon us. I think that they often combine, and we'll talk about this some more, but they often combine these elements of like femininity and glamour and um, like these, this more high art stuff, right? Utilizing somebody like Liza Minnelli, but then bringing it down to this like dirty, gritty level where Mm -hmm. it's like become something that like is just a little bit strange, right? Like it's like glamorous, but it's like glamour that's like rolled around in the dirt a little bit first, you know? That idea is very visual and it makes me think of like a, a uniform, like a marching band uniform. I was in marching band in high school. A marching band uniform is pristine. It is super clean. But then they're also talking about death and dying. This is a band that has literally been covered in blood many times. Right. And that grittiness versus the the structure and the cleanness of those other images plays off each other really well can I talk about Gaudi yeah please do well I think what we're saying about something being bad can also relate to the idea of failure which I think is super important to what she's saying overall about how camp works that it kind of sets out to do something and doesn't achieve it wholly or its value is not necessarily in the achievement of what it's trying to do but rather the surface level way it tries to do it yeah you're you're making a face yeah <laughs> I like it. <laughs> but she talks about this in um relation to Gaudi at some point so Gaudi is this uh architect I guess he's an architect, a designer of buildings, who's like the the surface of surfaces of the buildings that he creates are super extravagant, super like unique. Um, and a lot of his work is in Barcelona. And he's really well known for this cathedral called La Sagrada Familia, which um, is a project that he started when he was still alive and never finished. And this cathedral has been under construction for at least 30 years, 40 years, probably more. It's been under construction forever. Like the cranes around La Sagrada Familia are like very uh, visually, like they mark the Barcelona skyline in a way. Um, And that relates to this project of camp because like the cathedral is already a spectacle, whether or not it's completed, whether or not it functions as a cathedral it's the project of building this incredible thing that outlives the lifetime of the architect that um, is what makes it camp and valuable. Yeah. And that makes me think of American Band My Chemical Romance because- the Black Parade, man. <laughs> yeah. So much. Yes. And it makes me ask the question, like what, 
what is the project of my chemical romance that doesn't necessarily get accomplished but is always under construction um what's the the mission in progress so to speak yeah that I don't know thinking about what's the thesis statement of my chemical romance what are, what are they trying to accomplish how is it accomplished um Jesus Christ and, what a thing to say. what a thing to ask and say right um but this is more talking about how they go about accomplishing it which is inherently un- in a lens of camp of success a massive success right um so that's me on cathedrals <laughs> what do you got yeah man but i mean <laughs> that that drives me crazy because i'm thinking specifically about like the time period after the black parade came out and how gerard way considered that project a failure like Gerard Way considered the Black Parade and like the message of the Black Parade and the way it was received to be a failure. That's fucked up. That's so fucked up. Because it was misunderstood for what it was at the time. And like, obviously we can look Mm -hmm. back now and be like, wow, this is like literally the last great rock opera. Like when has there been an album of this magnitude in like the rock sphere since then? There hasn't been. It is the, it is, in fact, I'm going to make this statement. It is the great rock opera of the 2000s. There is nothing better. There's nothing better. I'm making that statement. And -hmm. it was also the last one. Like there has been nothing of that magnitude since then. And so we can look back on it now and be like, wow, look at how it did all of this shit. Like it really did this. It really like made all of these statements about grief and death and gender and war and all of this stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. But at the time, like it was, I think critically received quite well, but like culturally was not like it was received, I mean, among a certain group of people was received quite well, but culturally yeah. was also received in some ways very poorly by mm-hmm. like popular culture. Um, sure. And whatever Gerard Way's and MCR's like goal was for that project, which we can get into that later if we would like to, but whatever that goal was in producing that, the way that it was received and the way that it was handled by the media and the way that it like spiraled them into this like kind of fame and media frenzy that they had never experienced before, I think to them felt like a failure. Mm-hmm. And so maybe mm-hmm. it is in some ways mm-hmm. a failure of modern culture, but is a success of camp. I don't know. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And thinking about the way that like a, I know there's a section in here where she talks about how camp is like flexible over time that things can become camp that weren't immediately camp um i think the same could be true that things that are immediately camp lose it but in 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 that context the success of the project immediately is so different than like its legacy yes um and the the way that it has stayed with people and meant something to people in like life-altering ways that weren't apparent within the first even couple years of its release. Yeah, man. <laughs> okay. I guess that's so fucked up. I guess we can move on from that. What was our next point? It was um, <laughs> sound can be camp. <laughs> sound can be camp. Oh, that was okay. That was a little bit uh, tertiary, but um, I love a tertiary point. It's a tertiary point. Because there's a point where she's talking about camp being, like, necessarily visual. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. That, like, aesthetic is, like, the defining characteristic of, of camp. And I was thinking about how MCR might do something a little bit, or, like, add an extra level to that with sound. 
like sound being campy right in, in a way that is similarly accomplished by a visual element in a lot of different pieces and when i think about mama when i think about the polka based screamy track that that strips you down to your barest essentials when you listen to it and like but that's based on this like jumpy little polka-y thing that contrast to me is like camp supreme it is um like by the book camp i think there's i don't know whether i want to say this here or not actually this might lead us into the next point really well in terms of sound there's something that i hear often or that i have often heard referred to as gerard's quote-unquote like sassy moments <laughs> which is in fact that's not the word I would use that's not the word I would <laughs> use to describe this affectation that he like takes on right like he does take yeah. on this vocal affectation very often in a lot of MCR songs all sugar oh yeah all sugar don't I look pretty walking down the street in the best damn dress I own that mm-hmm. vocal affectation I would say is a very queer coded feminine vocal affectation yeah. is not sassy necessarily I mean I guess it is if we want to be like <laughs> gay men are sassy if we want to be like regular about it like maybe we could say that but <laughs> I'm not interested in that not on this podcast yes so the word sassy I think is an index of something this is exactly what I was talking about earlier with like if we actually read notes on camp maybe we can think a little bit more about how some of the things that we had referred to on a surface level are actually accomplishing something a lot more interesting a lot more powerful and meaningful and I think the things that we call sassy are actually like playing with femininity playing with queerness playing with the tension between those things and the aggressive music that's going on um in a super like loud way um a super i don't have a better word than loud that's fucking it's loud i hear it it's obvious i hear it (laughs) it's loud and i hear it but that actually leads that leads really well into us discussing um gender and sexuality in terms of camp because that's a big part of camp Mm -hmm. and i think it's also a good point to just mention the way that we're going to be talking about gender and sexuality in terms of American Band My Chemical Romance on this podcast. Yeah. Which is that we are going to be picking up what has been written down for us, so to speak, mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, certain public figures who may or may not be like defined in terms of gender or sexuality, um, which we know that Gerard Way is one of those folks who um, is undefined or unlabeled. We will not be like, placing labels in terms of these things we are talking about them as concepts and as free-floating things that are being utilized yeah talking about the way that those uh, I guess reading femininity and reading things that like speak to us as queer people right that are um, coded that are coded that are are coded um I also feel like queer coded is a term that gets thrown around without a lot of uh meaning that's very no that's very true (laughs) but when I, when I think of queer coded, I think of like something that I can recognize as, or that other queer people can recognize as like an index that right. other people might not pick up on. Yeah, we're flagging each other, babes. And I think that feeds into the way that Gerard Way's gender and sexuality remain pretty open and undefined. And that allows that kind of um, codedness to pop out and be so meaningful. 
yeah. So we're not we're not here to lock lock down any particular words for them because like no you're not. I think it's more interesting when we don't. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. However, we will be using he and they pronouns for Gerard Way on this podcast, yeah. and if you get confused, that's what we're using. So we're saying that now. <laughs> we're switching back and forth. Back and so. forth, babies. So, gender and sexuality in Notes on Camp. Yeah. Um, I think the most powerful moment, the most, like, obvious and upfront moment is where she's talking about androgyny and the way that, like, I almost want to, like, read this entire section. Like, I'm not going to, but it's point number nine. The most refined form of sexual attractiveness consists of going against the grain of one's sex. Uh-huh. Say it. It's fucking right. Um... And that it can also be a relish for the exaggeration of sexual characteristics and personality mannerisms. Mm-hmm. So there's like the the very doing up of the performance of gender, um, and then also the performance of something that might not fit what is expected of you. Yeah, I think she also has a quote that I love. That's about how the most like beautiful thing in she uses the word virile in virile men is something feminine. And what the most beautiful thing in feminine women is something masculine. Obviously, this is a binary thing that we are looking at here in this document. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, yeah, she's specifically noting that like the things that are most attractive are the things that like seem out of place in some way, right? Quote unquote, mm-hmm. out of place. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of quotes, I particularly love that Camp sees everything in quotation marks. Mm-hmm. So he talks about how it's not a woman, but a quote unquote woman. And I think that as a way of looking at gender is very interesting. Mm -hmm. It's very interesting. She uses the phrase being as playing a role, um, which obviously like gets into the performativity of gender, gets into Judith Butler, whatever Mm -hmm. we can, we can talk about that if you'd like. Um, Oh my gosh. (laughs) No, yikes. Right. Um, But I think is like very visible in the performance aspects and the theatricality that MCR in general and Gerard Way specifically deploy consistently on stage. Yeah. Yeah. And that makes me think of um, Susan Sontag talks about character as well Mm -hmm. and and the way that like Gerard always has a very intentional character. Um, They write about this in their tweets too of like putting like, that there, there is a character for, for each album or for each tour. Um, there's a costume that that character wears. But, like, the exaggeration of character um, on a stage in a role. And the exaggeration of those mannerisms as well, right? The things that we hear <laughs> are also the things that we see, right? It's like Gerard Way. What did they describe him as in, like, um, in that Rolling Stone article? The, like, the li- it wasn't limp Oh, lilting, lilting hand, ge- wilting, that's what the it was. Wilting hand gestures on stage, which is something that they've done for a long time. Um, whether it's like this kind of like hip shaking, like it's like sexy, but it's sexy in a way that like, like it's not like like a man trying to be sexy in a rock band. Mm-hmm. It's like, mm-hmm. I think about the quote that they have said before about like, I didn't want the girls to want to fuck me. I wanted the straight men to want to fuck me. It's that you're intentionally deploying this like very queer sensibility, this very like feminine sensibility. Yeah, yeah. Um, we were talking about gender trouble, gender performativity, which is a Judith Butler book that comes out in 1990 
This is 25 years. 25? 25? I can't, I can't do math, unfortunately. And there's simply no way to subtract those numbers, so. Oh god, I can't do math either. 24 years. 24 years later. 26 years. Um. Oh, 26 years. <laughs> okay. Hey, we're not beating any stereotypes today, baby. Hey, yo, no we're not. Um, that's okay. Um, 26 years. So the point of that is that that's so fucking far in the future. Yeah. Sontag is describing so many of the things that will go on to influence Judith Butler talking about gender performativity, um, which was a super radical concept um, when they published it. So um, that that just the whole the, the connecting of gender with stage presence um, is something super foundational that Sontag's doing here. Totally. Um, I don't want to talk about uh, gender trouble anymore because I would want to read it before I pretended to be smart about it, but. But you can read it, audience. I'll read. Oh, yeah, audience, you can read it. Tell us. Tell us what you think about it. Get in the comments. What was the other thing? Oh, we were talking about gender overall, queerness overall in this. Um, I guess to kind of back out of the androgyny portion and into the other places where yeah. queerness, gender, sexuality show up here. I think overall, reading this, I went into it with like the question, what about camp is inherently queer? And I kind of touched on this before a little bit, but when I think about queerness, I don't necessarily define that as like homosexual attraction, like fundamentally. Um, queerness for me is more about like non-normativity and the tons of different forms that that can take in both gender and sexuality, um, in just like choosing to live your life in a different way, um, that can all be queer in my mind. Um, and other people may not agree and that's okay. We can have open words. When I think about queerness in camp, camp as a way of seeing, as a sensibility is non-normative in that it rearranges the rules for like what makes something valuable and shoots that off in a different direction and kind of popularizes value in that way like puts it in the hands of different people and doesn't just set it on one universal track for like affirming value in art. Totally. Um, and that's cool. I like that. <laughs> that um, is cool. <laughs> I really like seeing that and we can, we can see that in MCR, but I just wanted to, I, I think that that is a more effective way of talking about how queerness, uh, how camp is queer and queerness is campy than the way that Sontag attaches queerness to like homosexuality to camp when she talks about she just goes the gays and jews <laughs> make culture and so therefore are the arbiters of camp like say say more or maybe say less um i don't know which i don't know which like you're going somewhere and i think it could be an interesting point maybe um but she doesn't i think again maybe this is because this is something that was written more than 50 years ago um that it doesn't land with us in the same way um but there's this is in point 52 where she says homosexuals have pinned their integration into society on promoting the aesthetic sense camp is a solvent of morality it neutralizes moral indignation sponsors playfulness so she's kind of talking about camp as like 
a sensibility promoted by gay people to better integrate themselves into some kind of cultural milieu but I don't think camp is necessarily like integrative like I don't think it's necessarily something that is meant to draw everybody in like it is popularizing sure but it it is not I, I think that there is like some kind of offness and even repulsiveness at times that it operates on and like needs to succeed so it like needs that marginality to to be effective definitely yeah so I think I I think she's wrong but I'm glad she brought it up (laughs) you can critique her and also use her text glad she brought it up glad she glad she brought it up you weren't quite there Susan but we appreciate it nonetheless that's okay and I might I could be wrong too yeah yeah, totally let me know yeah let us put us on blast why not yeah we'll talk about it we'll argue about it you can send anything to us half respectfully and we'll (laughs) and we'll engage (laughs) we'll engage yeah yeah no tell me tell me tell me that I'm misreading this please I'd love to hear how uh, we should talk more specifically in connection to MCR like why this matters because I feel like I have given a book report a little bit we could Um, also talk about (laughs) <laughs> the historical boy kissing themes <laughs> i don't know <laughs> this early we're gonna jump into boy kissing this soon should we talk about the theater of kissing boys i yeah i think we should mm-hmm. i think we should because i think that there is something that is often very connected to camp media right because there is this inherent like idea of like something being off right something being deviant something being mm-hmm. like quote unquote deviant because of that there are Frequent and consistent undercurrents of homoeroticism. There sure are. Sure. Hey, there sure are. I've noticed. I don't know if you've noticed, but I've noticed a couple of undercurrents here and there. I've noticed a couple of undercurrents of homoeroticism in my chemical romance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Would you like to talk about that? All of them? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's list them. This is similar to our original idea of the gayest MCR songs. <laughs> right, yeah. I think that they're the, uh, I, uh, the theater of the political statement. Okay, yes. <laughs> I'm thinking of a specific moment where Gerard Way kisses rhythm guitarist Frank Iero on stage in front of a crowd of people oh, yes. who were not necessarily there for that. For the public kissing? Yes. For that public kissing. <laughs> um, for a crowd of people who were being openly homophobic, right? Right. I, or were hyper-masculine. The hyper-masculinity. Right. Calling people fags. That, that's a response to that. To say, fuck yeah. I don't know how to connect that to camp. How do we connect that to camp? I think that it connects to camp in that. So, specifically in this scene, right? within the scene that they have like entered into, which at this time was very hyper-masculine in a lot of ways, right? The emo scene coming out of the 90s was a super hyper-masculine scene, specifically like also connected to like the hardcore scene and the punk scene. That scene has been consistently and constantly hyper-masculine and generally not a super safe space for, (laughs) this is not a controversial, generally not a safe space for women and people of color and uh, gay people. Obviously, there's nuance here. There has always been, whatever, POC punk and queer punk and all of that. But in general, like, the mainstream, like, scene, specifically with emo, which was a super white male-dominated genre and was very, like, was very straight and had been a lot about, like, dudes singing about women kind of thing. 
the audiences of these shows um, were often just these like kind of macho dudes. They were these kind of dudes who were mm-hmm. like ready to yell and throw shit in the pit and hit mm-hmm. and get hit, etc. Which is, you know, a homoerotic bonding ritual, but we don't need to <laughs> discuss this here. We can talk about that later. <laughs> Specifically, like, I don't know, I'm thinking about, I mean, they've consistently been doing this, but they would be brought to shows where the majority of the bands that were playing was often really hostile towards this kind of like queer affectation. And so by like intentionally like disrupting this space and being like, well, here's the, here's the fucking hint of femininity and the masculinity, dude, it's us. Like, welcome to the scene. Mm-hmm. Are. They like, okay. Did MCR make emo camp? Yes. Like, here's the thing, right? Like, before they were doing this shit, before they were, like, out there, like, literally kissing on stage, literally, like, whatever, wearing homophobia as gay shirts, mm-hmm. being outspoken about this stuff, before Gerard was doing all this, like, affectations, etc. The boas, I think, are also an important... The boas, <laughs> right? Who else was doing that in this scene specifically? And, like, mm-hmm. obviously, call me out if I'm wrong. Call me out if I'm wrong. Call me out if I'm wrong. But, like, I don't know. Obviously, like, Panic at the Disco and Fall Out Boy were doing this, too. They weren't doing it in the same way. They were not no. doing it as well. Or at the same time. Don't come into my mentions about this. I'm right. Mm-hmm. MCR was the one who, like, really spearheaded that. And, like, mm-hmm. right? Like, they're utilizing, like, these, like, elements that have been used mostly in glam within this other genre. So, like, <laughs> they're, like... They're yassifying the genre, babes. They're campifying the emo genre. The third genre, like the third wave of emo becomes this like, becomes this space where at least in like MCR's crowds at a certain point, there's a lot of queer people and there's a lot of women. MCR is the girlfriend band. I've heard Mm -hmm. dudes from the scene at that time be like, oh yeah, I don't listen to that. My fucking girlfriend does. Also like, just like, because emo is a genre then becomes connected to this like, pushing of like femininity and like wearing women's pants and like everybody's just kind of like I don't know wearing makeup and and kissing each other the whole scene like gets tinged with this like element of camp but it wasn't there before right it's like totally pushing those boundaries of like that masculinity that was there previously I'm thinking about the way that like expression of feeling looks different in like those earlier emo bands. Like there is an an exaggeration of feeling that like marks emo as a thing originally, like 90s emo, like this kind of overwroughtness, right? Which is a, a, a portion of camp, but it's not being taken to the level of theatricality. Yeah, it's not being aestheticized. MCR comes along. Right. Until Gerard Way re- wears Red eyeshadow. Yeah. Nothing. <laughs> Until Gerard Way wore Urban Decay Gash, did anything really happen in that scene? No. No. We might be wrong. I think there is, like, the horror connection, too. Like, the, the B-movie horror fans that are in this band um, connecting that kind of, I don't know, over-exaggerated blood and gutsness that kind of comes to make up MCR um, as a, a, a as part of the theater of MCR, I guess, that is evident early, like early, early on, early, early on from the very beginning. Um, I totally jumped from one thought to another, which was the way that the overwroughtness of early emo that isn't as effeminate comes to be this kind of like expression of feeling 
that is necessarily I don't know I think about like shitty like songs about your shitty girlfriend yeah that so many of these songs are just songs about your shitty girlfriend over and over again right which are there songs like that on bullets I'd like to propose at a later time that no (laughs) that's not what those songs are about but we can talk about that later even though they are using these elements of violence and aggression they come off so differently than the way anyone else in the scene was doing it yeah, because they're talking about women differently. Yeah. And they're like, yeah. in that, they're like, kind of not talking about them. Right. Here we, here we go. We're on the Gerard Way. <laughs> the Gerard Way, she. <laughs> she trained. We're on the Gerard Way, she trained. <laughs> I've heard this referred to recently as the gender wars. And I, I'm gonna... Uh, enter the, the the gender wars on the side of gender that's not that expression but I think that can also like connect to the way that we were talking about the failure of the project too like the way that emo comes to operate kind of in the middle like late revenge early black parade in a like mass media kind of economy a mass media way of looking at it I'm just thinking about the way that like emo gets played up and romanticized and becomes this thing that you can make fun of very easily. Um, right, and why? It's absolutely the femininity. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's the homophobia it's the homophobia babes. <laughs> what? Homophobia babes. <laughs> it's the homophobia in it. Where is this accent coming from? <laughs> no, I don't know. I don't know. It's 10:47 p.m. Um yeah, I mean, they wrote three fucking concept albums. Yeah, that's kind of a lot. That's kind of a lot. We haven't even talked about Danger Days at all. That's so true, we haven't. That, those are... Hey, Danger Days is also camp, by the way. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, it is. And that, Party Poison's gender is uh, its own thing entirely. <laughs> I don't know, concept albums, I think, in general, feel kind of camp to me. It, it gives it a broader theme. Just they're massive. They're huge. And I think maybe there's a bit of perspective here because we're like out of the album era or whatever. But the idea of like, they've got these albums that like, it is not only pleasant, but like part of like an essential part of the experience to sit down and listen to the whole thing. Right. Like front to back, listen to the album, get into these like loosely connected themes and storylines that tie something just massive together that all makes sense together. Just like, I don't know, like I think about like the way that people will be like, oh yeah, you know, like I'm an MCR fan, but specifically I'm a revenge fan. This is like, this band like has lore and like time periods that people will latch onto the aestheticism of that time period and like be really into that thing you know like you can be like you can look at people at the shows and be like okay i know what your fucking favorite album is which goes back completely to like the aesthetic being so forward and so like indicative of this music this band not just that it's like something that we can recognize but it's something we can emulate as well something you can recognize and emulate and like that's also what i'm thinking about like how how different it was from the scene at the time right that theatricality is so different from the scene at the time you look at like the kinds of festivals that they played at and it's just a bunch of dudes in t-shirts and then them in like full suits makeup they're in costume they're in Mm -hmm. costume on stage and then it's just a bunch of dudes in t-shirts next to them i feel like cobra starship has an aesthetic 
Yes, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> Cobra Starship is certainly camp. Cobra Starship is camp. But like really in the scene at the time, like they were pretty unique. Like the rest of the bands that they were like playing with, like bands that get conflated with them, like the used, I would not call the used camp. Lots of love to now, them. And man, they do a lot of, they do a lot of, they do a lot of gay shit, but I don't uh-huh. think that they're camp. That's a really good contrast. There's a lot of gender and sexuality going on in the used, but it is totally different than the way that it's executed in MCR. Handled totally different. Yeah. Yeah. They don't yeah. have that same level of like theatricality and aestheticism at all that they do. Okay, cool. Do we talk about That's sincerity? Cool. Sincerity. Yeah. I love talking about sincerity, especially when it comes to American Band by Chemical Romance. So present right now, too. Mm-hmm. Oh. Every day, every day, every day, I wake up in the morning and I'm subjected to Gerard Way getting on stage and talking about how happy he is and how much they love their best friends. And then I have to lie on the floor. <laughs> I have to watch Ray Toro have the most brilliant smile in the Northern Hemisphere and play guitar. And I have to get through the day. Um, okay, sincerity. What does Susan Sontag say about sincerity? To begin with this, she talks about distinguishing between naive and deliberate camp and how pure camp, like capital P, capital C, pure camp is always naive. And so like, I love this quote, successful camp, even when it reveals self-parody, reeks of self-love. Yeah, it does. And she also mentions, she says that camp rests on innocence. And that camp essentially like discloses innocence, but also when it can corrupts it. In terms of my chemical romance, I mean, I think that there's there's so much to say there, right? This pure melodrama, the intense outpouring of emotion in their music is pretty much often like I think the reason why they have been like consistently grouped in as being like, oh, this is like cringe, this is like for teens, this is like whatever, mm-hmm. is because there's such intense emotion in it you know, I am not afraid to keep on living, right? Yeah. It has that shit. And then it also has like, we're like in one song even, in a song like Mama, you should have raised a baby girl, I should have been a better son, shit like that. Yeah. And then it's also like, the shit that I've done with this fuck of a gun. So it's like that yeah. intense, intense, like outpouring of emotion. And then also this just like, I mean, almost ridiculous. Yep. Yeah. It is carried to the point that it just be, it becomes overwhelming with how much it is. Right. But the thing that takes it back to sincerity is that they mean every second of it. They mean it like, like this whole project is so important to all of them. And you can feel that, especially right now, you can feel that in everything that they're doing and especially that they stopped doing it when it stopped feeling that way. Yeah, I think also she has, so just to bring this back to the text also, um, she has this quote that says, camp is art that proposes itself seriously, but cannot be taken altogether seriously because it is quote unquote too much. And like that, if if that is not just the fucking thesis of everything my chemical romance is made, my man, it's like, it's like, yeah, like this is a song about like my dead grandmother, but here we are at this off church <laughs> uh-huh and there's people dancing behind us and now a girl's gonna get up and do a little dance and then she's gonna fall back over and it's about my grandmother we're gonna pick up the coffin and we're gonna carry it into the rain <laughs> this 
is a song about teenagers and there's cheerleaders in fucking gas masks. And now here's a song about the music industry maybe and how it like just wants your blood and we're all in a locker room and these cheerleaders are dancing on us and we are not fucking interested. (laughs) Nope. (laughs) Here comes Frank's dog and that's much more interesting. (laughs) That's much more interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Just like, okay, just laughing about this like this is making me like, like, there's a point at the end where she's talking about love and how like lo- like that kind of like joyful playfulness is th- that's the appreciation of camp. That's where it it hits and how it how it like that's the expression, the experience of it being valuable is that you're able to like laugh about it but not it's not ridicule, it's enjoyment, it's playfulness. It's that's where the meaning comes from it being that. Yeah, she has that quote where she says, one is drawn to camp when one realizes sincerity is not enough. Like straight seriousness isn't enough. It seems feeble. Camp introduces a new standard, artifice as an ideal. MCR by making, it's like making the serious frivolous and the frivolous serious. Is that it? Yep. Yeah. Yes. Um, be serious about the frivolous, frivolous about the serious. And that that experience of it is what makes those serious things accessible in an actionable way or makes it possible to like feel those incredibly heavy things or even approach them in a place where in a time where things are so so heavy that it becomes overwhelming and like you can't approach something without having a degree of laughter or having a degree of enjoyment or spectacle to be able to even start to talk about it I think that's so true and I think it's like one reason why I've seen so many people specifically returning to the black parade in the last like two and a half years where we have a mass like truly unfathomable amounts of grief and like something that they do is they make this grief a like super accessible and universal I think or universalizing also kind of silly in some ways like obviously like these things aren't silly like the song cancer is not a silly song but Mm -hmm. it's like so fraught and so overwrought to the point that it's like really like I mean kind of ridiculous it's kind of a ridiculous song but that's Mm -hmm. what makes it so great right this like true pure emotion about something like this that actually feels I think to some people more pure and true than things that are written about cancer that are like extremely purely serious. And I think it's also important to mark like we're saying a lot about how it's how it's too much, how it's overwrought, how it's almost laughable. I think that that experience of this music, these songs, this performance can exist alongside a deep and serious reading of it. Yeah, uh, because so I mean there's this quote also to bring us to return us to to Susan. Um, she has this quote where she says that there is seriousness in camp. There is seriousness in camp, but there is never tragedy. There isn't. Yeah. Regardless of, we are talking about, right, the death of somebody that you love. You are going to hell and you are killing, you are killing a thousand evil men to get your wife back. You are experiencing the loss of somebody from a, a disease. Any of those things. Those things are tragedies, but in the context of their art, they're not, they're not, they're serious, but I would not consider the Black Parade or Revenge to be a tragedy. Because it doesn't, it doesn't leave you with the hurt. It takes you somewhere else. 
it it takes you out it doesn't leave you in the like actual pain that it is able to help you see or experience or approach and perhaps the thesis of my chemical romance is from my favorite mcr interview where this is like early bullets days where um there's that interviewer who's like what what are you guys all about or something like that what are you guys here for and gerard says we're here to save kids lives and the guy says how are you going to save kids lives and i believe it is frank who says by bringing a message and the interviewer says what's the message and gerard says to save kids lives <laughs> you're right that's literally it <laughs> like you fucking idiots <laughs> God, that's so funny. But that's it. <laughs> You're right. That's so true. The entirety. I think people will often remove that quote from that context and be like, the thesis of MCR is to save people's lives. But really, the, the-, the thesis of MCR is to save people's lives by bringing them a message, which is to save kids' lives. Save people's lives. Yeah. We're kind of like done. Are we done? I think we kind of, we kind of are done. I think we covered a lot of ground. In summary, MCR's camp, and now you can talk about it more. MCR's camp, now you can talk about it more, and you can talk about it in ways that are, like, super meaningful, that, like, add a lot of texture to the way that we already understand MCR. And I think I would also mention, like, we should totally include a PDF of Notes on Camp because it's 14 pages long. It's 13 pages. It's not even 14 pages it's long. It's not long. It's not long. It's a very... It's a beach read, even. It's a beach read. I'd read. I'd read notes on camp at the beach, and that it's like as you're reading it, not something that you should try to like fit wholly together. Like she says this at the beginning, but like camp is not one specific thing. It's kind of themes and gatherings, and that it's hard to write about in the first place. So it's just it's good to touch on and like see what resonates with you. So you should read notes on camp. R.I.P. Susan Sontag. You would have loved the Black Parade. You would have loved the Black Parade. Oh my God. <laughs> she would have loved MCR overall. She was alive when MCR was a band. But she died, she? I think she died, she literally died in like, like, like 07, I think. 06 or 07. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. I wonder, did she ever hear the Black Parade, do you think? She did. I think I looked this up at some point. I was like, did Susan Sontag ever hear the Black Parade? Um, yeah, she died in 04. In 04? Well, Susan, this one's for you. Um... This one really is for Susan Sontag. Welcome to the end of our first episode. Hey, we made it. I had a lot of fun. The way that we're going to close our episodes, um, since MCR is an actively touring band that released music. 2022, yes. They released new music two weeks ago. Do you remember how that happened? What the fuck? I I remember it, but sometimes I think it's not real. It hasn't happened. But they're actively on tour and they are up to some bullshit. So we want to talk about uh, what our favorite moments from the tour uh, has been so far. Yeah, we should date this also. This is happening. We're recording this on Wednesday, May 25th. So Mm -hmm. tonight was the second Dublin show. Yes, second Dublin show. Mm -hmm. And I mean, there have probably been gift sets um, that have come out that we haven't seen at this point because we've been recording this podcast. So anyway, Marin. What has been your favorite moment of the tour so far? Um, Gerard Way got up on stage and had a whole little rant about metaverse. 
um, and how we're not living, how we deserve to have real things and see people's real faces and ended it by screaming, embrace the absurd. That meant a lot to me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That meant a Mm -hmm. lot to me. Um, Embrace the world, embrace the plague, embrace the unfair, embrace the absurd. My favorite part of the tour so far has truly just been like hearing them talk to one another and like hearing about how unique and genuine this tour is. And like something that I think that like a lot of MCR fans have really been picking up on is like something that I had heard from a lot of MCR fans before this was said by Gerard is like, it feels like something's alive. It like feels like something's alive again. It feels like something's changed. It feels like Mm -hmm. something's different. Like something is like Gerard proceeded to say on stage, like something is alive. What is your, what is your favorite MCR, recent MCR moment? I'm thinking about two that are much more frivolous, um, but in the, um, in the spirit of, of Notes on Camp, um, I'm going to share them. So um, the new merch to me has been an absolute shining star <laughs> in the tour. Number one, Karen Cunningham's Boys Own shirt. That's camp, bitch. That's camp. That is camp. Um, it's so well done. It's like, like, but that's the one that everyone wants the most. And of course, um, the Mickey Taylor shirt. Of course. Which is the smartest thing that I think MCR has ever done. The, the the lore behind it that someone who should remain unnamed reached out. Mikey. <laughs> Allegedly. Allegedly. Mikey Way. MCR said, gay porn on my merch? It's more likely than you think. Are you wearing the, the gay porn shirt? Yes. Sure am. So I'm waiting for a member of MCR to wear one of those shirts um, on stage. That's, um, that's high up for me. And also another very important moment of this tour for me has been Ray Toro, just generally. Ray Toro playing the guitar, skipping around the stage. Um, Ray Toro's beautiful long hair. Ray Toro, Ray Toro kiss a boy. <laughs> Ray Toro kissing his friends on the mouth. Ray Toro, Ray Toro running around the stage just absolutely putting his head on his friends and also Ray Toro has also not been on social media in forever so I forgot what he looks like and he looks good he He looks good (laughs) he certainly does look good hey we can see this we can say this here Ray Toro looks great Ray Toro looks great I'm excited to see more of Ray Toro um in the coming days anyway that's what I've been excited about um and like at the rate that this is going, like anything could happen. Anything could happen, week. and that's <laughs> that's camp. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much for listening to this first episode of Honey. This podcast is big enough for the two of us. Where can you find us? Where can you find us? Oh, where can you find us? That's a really good question. Um, so we're gonna make a we're gonna fill our Tumblr account with information um right now it is blank but soon it won't be and that tumblr is honeythispodcast.tumblr.com yes you can find um, us on instagram at the same the same address honey this podcast mm-hmm. you can send us a fucking email if you want send us an email yeah go long form send us an email honey this podcast yeah. at gmail.com 
or you can find us individually. You can follow um, us at Gerard Tweets. Yeah, we're at Gerard Tweets. Um, I'm also Boy Zone, Boy Dash Zone on Tumblr. And I'm at Taste of Chaos 2005. So you can you can follow us. You can hang out with us. Uh, you can engage with us. Or you can just ignore us completely. That's fine too. You can make plans to hang out with us at Riot Fest. You can do any of those things in any of these places. Or not. Let's hang out at a show. Let's hang out in the pit. Let's hang out out on more episodes of this podcast. Yes, there will be more episodes of this podcast. We don't know what they're going to be about yet, um, but that's another conversation. But I guess we'll see you next time. See you next time. Hey, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) There's a bug that flew in my nose. (laughs)